I ended up realizing that's the best support system there is. An individual that has the same mind as you. You know, I, I, I'll tell people that will come up to me and like, I've had one young lady that came up to me and she's like, look, you know, I was raped, this and that. I'm like, please stop there. I was like, let me find somebody that I know that was a military sexual trauma victim that you could talk to because I'd, I'm going to be so off base with you that I don't want to make it wrong. Even though we both have PTSD and we struggle with it, I don't understand what it is you went through or how it affects you, but somebody that, somebody that does can help you better, you know? This is episode number 151 with Ozzy Martinez. You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have another incredible show and guest for you here on this episode. Once again, my name is Dave Brown. I'm a real estate investor, lifestyle entrepreneur, and the co-host here, along with my partner, Gold Star Wife, author and speaker, Barbara Allen. And we're going to roll right into this week's episode uh, with Marine Corps veteran Ozzy Martinez. He was just 20 years old on 9-11, and he immediately called a recruit and initiated the process of becoming a U.S. Marine. After two back-to-back deployments, Ozzy had been through experiences that led him to becoming declared 100% disabled due to PTSD. The diagnosis shattered his hopes of becoming a law enforcement officer and sent Ozzy into a deep depression. After years of turmoil, Ozzy found the strength to rebuild his life. Today, he is leading other veterans through their own post-traumatic survival paths through his podcast and his organization, Operation Wet Vet, where camaraderie and recreation allow combat veterans to recover and grow from their own trauma. So listen in as Ozzy shares his family's story of their lives in Cuba, how they came to this country, his story of service and his openness about his struggles, as well as the extraordinary way he is continuing to serve through his work today. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with Ozzy Martinez. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host, Barb Allen. Today, I get to sit down with Marine Corps veteran Ozzy Martinez Jr. Ozzy has a story that is unusual. It's original, but yet similar to so many of, of our veterans who come back today and of just everyday American citizens who see an issue struggle with it, and then decide to, instead of sitting back and just worrying about it or letting it master them, he decided to step up and do something about it and be a part of a solution to a problem that he's personally experienced and is now helping others do the same through his, uh, his organization, Operation Wet Vet. And I cannot wait to sit down and talk about all of that today with you, Ozzy. Thank you for your service. I'm sorry that you came home and you were suffering with that PTSD. And I know you've had another loss lately in your life. And I'm so grateful that you're taking the time to step away from your own busy schedule and share your story and experience with American Snippets. Well, thank you, Barb, for having me. Yeah. And you also have your own podcast, the the PTSD survival topic that you talk about. Post-survival. Yeah. Um, so I, I love all of that. I love that you, I mean, I don't love that you suffered PTSD. I don't love that people <laughs> suffer, but I love that you are part of a solution to a problem that is very pervasive and especially it can get swallowed up in today's current climate 
and you're battling those issues as well. We're going to get to all of that here, but let's start a little bit with your background. You're a United States Marine Corps veteran. Hoorah. <laughs> I have a, um, a really good friend. He's a Marine Corps veteran. He's a Vietnam veteran and a Gulf War veteran as well. He's a little crazy. Um, but <laughs> I, think that was, uh, I think that was part of the requirement. I when think you that's a prereq, you know, from, yes. uh, from Marines, I'd say. But, uh, but I love him. He's a dear, dear friend. And he's all, he signs everything. Oorah, oorah. He walks around like you can hear him all the time. Oorah. Like, anyway. Sounds like somebody. So, <laughs> that's <laughs> hilarious. So tell us about your service, first of all. Like what, in, what interested you about serving? What prompted you to serve in the military? You know, it's funny you ask that because I've always told myself it was just something out of the spur and comes to find out, I guess it ran in my family. Uh, I'm uh, my great grandfather on my mother's side was a high ranking officer in the Cuban army. And when uh, Castro took over, they took over certain the way that Cuba was split up was it split up in uh, provinces and five provinces and they would take over the they took over the, the provinces and then took over the, the whole country. And my great grandfather was, like I said, a high ranking officer in the Cienfuegos uh, province. And my grandmother's five brothers were all under his command. And I come to find out, you know, after I, I end up joining and serving that my grandma was very emotional. And she tells me, he's like, you know, my father was uh, an officer. And uh, when when Castro came in, Raul Castro, Fidel's brother, personally executed my father. So I was what? like, ah. She was like, yeah. So my, she told me the whole story, how they lied to my great grandmother and they told her, come see your husband. We moved him from prison. So in that transfer, when she was going from one prison to another, she says that when she showed up, that all she got to see was his body because they already had Raul Castro had already personally executed him. Under what, her, what, why was he executed? Well, because the Castro regime took over and it was very simple. It was uh, you either join the revolution and our ideas or you're not. And if depending your position, you would either get killed. You were some people were would escape or some people like my grandmother's five brothers, the, the gentleman under his command were then political prisoners for 20 years from the six wow. from 1960 that Castro took over to 1980s. So my grandmother that had no affiliation to the military and was married already to my grandfather, and he had no affiliation to the military. Um, they were, they, they gathered up and fled. They yeah. were like, we gotta get out of Cuba. So my mom came here at a very young age. My dad came here at a very young age. They met here. I'm the first generation born here of my, both sides of my family. I'm the first and oldest, you know, Martinez, I like to say now. And I'll never forget the day that, you know, I saw September 11th happen, and that's what did it for me. Uh, I was 20 years old and I was working in Tampa at the time and, and uh, living in Tampa at the time in the area. And the president was in the area at the time, the current president that we had during September 11, George Bush. And when the towers hit, I'll never forget all the commotion that was coming out of MacDill Air Force Base, jets flying everywhere. You know, the news being told that, hey, this is happening. Uh, the power plant that, you know, my stepfather and I, my stepfather had gotten me a job there. The power plant we were working on was shut down because it was very uh, yeah. across the Bay, McDill Air Force Base. And, uh, you know, so much commotion going on that I sat there and I was like, I can't I can't believe this. I, I was I was old enough. I, like I said, I was 20 years old. I was old enough to remember that we already they already had tried to attack us in 92 in the World Trade Center. 
And to me, it, it sounds so crazy, but in my mind, all I could see is constant attacks coming, Pearl Harbor style attacks is what I thought. And I was like, this can't be, this can't be. And immediately called my recruiter, the local recruiter. And you could just imagine what <laughs> it probably sounded like a fake phone call to him. I was like, hi, how you doing? They're like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, I want to join the Marine Corps. They're like, okay. Like, you understand? You're like, they're kind of saying like, you know, we're going to war. Usually now we're trying to recruit them. This guy's just calling us. And he's like, okay, tell me about yourself. I'm like, I'm 20 years old. He's like, have you ever been arrested? I'm like, no. He's like, okay. He's like, do you have a, you know, I asked, answered all his requisites. And he's like, I'm like, well, the only problem is that I haven't really quite finished high school yet. And he's like, not a problem. Let's sign you up for the local high school. So he takes me there within like two months. I finished my diploma. I got enough for my diploma because I had dropped out of my senior year in Miami. I'd say two, three months before graduating. I just, I, I didn't have enough. They told me I would have to do night school and summer school to walk. And I didn't feel like doing that. So I right. dropped out. And I went back. I did that within two, three months in Tampa, got my diploma, my Florida diploma and called the, I, I told him, I was like, I already got it. He's like, awesome. He picks me up. We go to MEPS. I do the whole deal. I'm in boot camp in November of 2002, um, which was pretty fast. So I, I did all of this from September 11th to November 2002. I was already in boot camp. And I graduated in February and I get sent over to my school's battalion, learn all about that. And, you know, eventually in 2004, we get told we're going to Iraq. You know, my whole purpose behind joining was exactly that. Right. I, I felt that I felt that I would rather take the fight to them if I was eager to fight and I was and I was OK with fighting. I was I would rather take the fight to them than have them fight in my backyard and put my family at risk. You so know, what did your family what, say then when you told them that this was happening? Oh, it was bad. My my mom, my mom, you know, cried. My mom didn't want me to join. My mom you have siblings? prevented. I uh, have a. I'm the oldest, but I do right. have a sister, then a brother, and then a younger brother that is uh, recently just turned, uh, I think, 19. Okay. <laughs> so I'm 38 now. So uh, I think he was he was uh, a year old when I left to boot camp. My my youngest brother. And, uh, and then on my father's side, I have uh, two sisters because uh, my father ended up passing away a month before boot camp. But I that oh, wow. me and him had a real broken relationship. So that ends up coming back later on in my life on why I, I took so much action to change my life. Yeah. You know, the, the, everything that I grew up with and stuff. So. OK, you know, but, so so now you're in Iraq and you you did two deployments. Yeah, Correct. so we went out in 2004. We uh, we went to Fallujah, and uh, it was a fun time there. Uh, <laughs> so I guess the yeah. historians will say that uh, it was the worst of the worst. Everybody always yeah. tells me, "Oh wow, you were in Fallujah. That was the worst of the worst." I was like, "Yeah, you know." I, I always say that we had the better half. We went to the we were we were there from February to October, and then the second invasion started late October, November. So we really weren't part of that second invasion, but we were part of that first invasion. Um, my my unit two took significant damage. Uh, we lost our first uh, casualty was April 13th, a gentleman named Corporal Combe. I ended up doing an episode on him uh, on April 13th of this year, marking, you know, the anniversary. And uh, we lost him and uh, we lost my lieutenant September 12th to an ID. And then we lost the following day, September 13th, we lost three more Marines. Uh, one of them was actually the driver for Corporal Combs on April 13th. Oh, wow. He saved 
that that that, that Marine uh, Lance Corporal Puckett, Matthew Puckett saved ten individuals, ten Marines on April thirteenth. Was awarded the Bronze Star with Valor, and then died September thirteenth. Wow! And uh, we left April October, so we left less than a month later. Uh, we were almost gone. We were supposed to be gone already, and uh, got home. Uh, Got leave, came back from leave, and then was told that 12 of us, I guess, did such a great job that we had been selected to be crew chiefs for another unit that was about to deploy. <laughs> yeah, was, that was about to deploy to Iraq. Yeah. And we were like, are you guys being serious? They're like, yeah, well, you guys were hand-selected by the, your former you know, gunnery sergeant that was with you guys in 04, and he says he didn't trust anybody else but you guys. So we felt great because we were like, man, we're going with him. And then uh, we show up and we find out that he got assigned to another command and we weren't going with him, that we were going with a new gunnery sergeant. So we had to you know, now get to know the individual that we were going with. Ended up working out great. He was a, a great gunny, our second gunny that, that we, got, we went to that deployment with. But on that deployment, we were attached to 2-1. We were on the 13th Mew, uh, which is uh, the Marine Expeditionary Unit. You go on ships. So it's actually a, a deployment on ship. We leave the San Diego area on ships, land in Hawaii. We went to a bunch of other places, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, Dubai, Egypt, Australia, Bahrain. Uh, but we ended up getting recalled to Iraq while we were on the ship, and we got extended a month in Iraq. The, the unit we were attached to took major damage because they took them out of our vehicles. Our vehicles weren't steel or anything, but we were up-armored troop carriers. And unfortunately, we were part of Operation Steel Curtain, which was part of the whole voting and stuff like that. And uh, unfortunately, the command decided to take the infantry out of our vehicles that we had trained with for over seven months in total, because we trained six months and we did about two, three weeks in, in uh, Darwin, Australia of training. And it was constantly working with each other. The whole purpose was they are a mechanized unit. They ride on their infantry that ride on vehicles. That's what we trained for. And we get to Iraq and they remove him from our vehicles and, you know, we watched them die pretty much. Um, we lost our, uh, our commanding officer, um, an amazing gentleman, Major Ray Mendoza. And uh, we lost that leader and, and we lost five other Marines that day. So I came back from that deployment and I had a, a feel in me that I was just done. I was uh, wasted. I... I was unhappy that we were just constantly going over there, I felt, and not really allowed to take care of a job, uh, more just contain the situation is what I felt. And I was just unhappy. And uh, I decided that I really wasn't, I guess, making a difference the way I, I wanted to, um, eradicating something that I thought was pure evil, you know, an, an right. ideology, not, not, a, not, a, not a group of people, but an ideology. And, um, and I decided to just get out. And I got out in 2006. So when I got out in 2006, I moved back to Miami. Eventually, it was, I was told I couldn't do it because from 2006 to 2008, I was anti doing anything I had to do. Right. I wouldn't wake up at 530. I wouldn't run my three miles every day. I, I, I never shot a rifle in those two years. I did everything that I just wanted to do as a civilian again. Right. And then in 2008, since the way the Marine Corps works is you do four years active duty. It's, they say it's a four-year contract, but it's actually an eight-year contract. You do okay. four years active duty, four years inactive reserve. Right. I don't report anywhere. I don't report to nobody. I don't have to do anything. I just, this is, they say, it never happens in case something happens, you get called. Well, something happened and I got presidential executive orders in 2008 sent to my house. 
along with a bunch of other guys that served in 2000, that got out in 2006 with me that were all corporals or sergeants with multiple deployments. And we go to Kansas City for this briefing because I'm like, this can't be real. I'm like, I just got my grandfather calls me. He's like, there's a manila folder here um, with your name on it. And I had to sign for it to verify that you received it. And I'm like, wait, this is real. I'm like, who's it from? And he's like, uh, my grandfather speaks broken English. He's like, uh, United States Headquarters Marine Corps. And I'm like, what? I'm going there right now. So <laughs> I go to his house because I wasn't living there. But my, my grandparents house was the home of records. I go there. And I'm open it up. Like I got goosebumps saying it right now. Again, I open it up and it's a big seal. United States Marine Corps presidential executive orders. You've been reactivated to go. I'm like, what? Reactivated. <laughs> so I call this number that I had to call there. They, they said like, yeah, well, uh, we need to know your nearest airport so we could uh, c- confirm your ticket, this and that. So I say it. I, I'm like, this is crazy. I'm like, is this real? How do I know I'm not getting kidnapped? So I go to the airport. I, I, I get a plane ticket already waiting for me for, I think, American Airlines. I fly to Kansas City. They're like, oh, there's going to be a Marine waiting there for you in camis. And I'm like, okay. So I get to the airport and I start bumping into guys that I, I served with. And I'm like, oh, what do you, you got called to? You got called to. <laughs> so we get there and we're like, this can't be real. So this Marine picks us up in camis. He's like, how you doing, gentlemen? This and that. So he takes us to a hotel. The fall, Everybody's hanging out. We get there at night. We're all hanging out, drinking. You can just imagine it's a reunion. Guys hadn't seen each other in two years. The following morning, there's this whole breakfast. After this breakfast, the sergeant major comes out and he's like, y'all think this is a joke, huh? I mean, he curses, obviously. I don't know if I could curse on yeah, your podcast. Go for it. He's like, like, y'all think this is a fucking joke, huh? Because we're all civilians. Well, guess what? The second you guys landed here, you've been act- you're active. You're getting paid for being here. He's like, 10 fucking rooms destroyed already, huh? Good to go. <laughs> he's like, well, let me tell you why you're here. And he's like, I'm not even going to let the colonel say it. He's like, you've all been selected because you have more than two deployments to Iraq or Afghanistan. You're all corporals and sergeants, and you're all going to be going to Afghanistan to train forces for a year. And I'm like, what? I'm like, first and foremost, I'm amphibious assault. When we were in Fallujah, Iraq, we were infantry because there was nothing to assault amphibiously in Iraq. So they use this as infantry because every Marine is a rifleman. I go, I, I deployed a second time, and then I became a watchbird because we weren't allowed to play because we were in these vehicles that are amphibious assault vehicles and they didn't fit there. Like, so I'm like, and now you're telling me I'm going to go back to be an instructor and train Afghan forces after I've been out for two years. I, I, I didn't, I felt like I didn't even fit my uniform. I mean, we were in uniform, but I knew I wasn't going to fit in my uniform. Right. So I'm like, I'm listening to all this and it, it was almost like that, the, the peanuts where you're like, wah, 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 like, like it all muffled, like this can't be real. Everybody just stopped laughing and quiet. Like you could hear everything. Finally, the colonel comes out and he's like, all right. So he starts explaining everything in a nicer way. And he's like, well, the only way, you know, you guys are getting out of this is if you're first responder, a current first responder, if you're currently in college or other things, I forgot what it was, medical and like, uh, you know, cancer, medical conditions, stuff like that. I didn't follow into any of those boxes. So I was like, I'm, <laughs> I'm going third time's the charm. I'm done. And this time I'm doing something so out of the ordinary that I, I'm definitely going to be, you know, hurt or something. So I come back and like I said, I got out in two years. I was doing perfectly fine, working, going to clubs, dating, perfectly fine. I got back and within a week or two, I started having major anxiety attacks during the day. Back from attacks. this last appointment? From the third no, deployment? when I came back from that, that briefing. Oh, from the briefing. Okay. When I came back from the briefing <laughs> okay. to Miami, I started having 
major anxiety attack, right. panic attacks. Um, I was I would walk by a dumpster and and the smell would just immediately within three seconds take me back. And I, it was only like three seconds. I, I, I wasn't visualizing, hallucinating, right. but I was I was taken back and I was like, oh, my God, no, I don't want to be in this place. Like it was taken back to places I didn't want to be, you know, just Iraq or in the Middle East. And. And I, I was like, this can't be I can't be this can't be happening to me right now because I'm about to leave in a month. I don't follow any of the criteria that's not going to meet for me to not go. So I'm going to go. I cannot go in this state of mind. I'm going to die. I'm going to get killed. So I went to the VA privately to ask for help. I didn't even mention I was being deployed because I didn't want it to be an issue. I go, guys, look, I just, I think I'm having problems. I just want to get them checked out. Blah, blah, blah. Um, They start this whole process of PTSD. They put me in the OIF clinic, the PTSD clinic. They start the whole thing. Little announced to me that my claim started that day. And I received letter afterwards from headquarters Marine Corps stating, which at the same time I was applying to become a cop as well locally here. And I get a letter stating that uh, due to my mental and physical uh, abilities, I am no longer deployable status for the Marine Corps. Please keep this letter for your records. So I was like, wait, what happened here? I was like, this can't be, this was just like a month or two after, not even, I mean, because I was supposed to leave within that month of me coming back from that, that briefing. You had a month to get your affairs in orders and go. So my visit must have triggered something in their system is what I'm guessing. I don't know. But my system, that, that's what I'm guessing because I didn't alert anybody. I didn't tell anybody. My, I was just trying to get my head fixed because I didn't want to be easy right. pickings. And I received this letter and I'm like, this can't be. So I'm like, all right, so now I'm not going there. I continued here. I get my rating from the VA that states I'm 70% disabled from the VA in 2008. And I submit that to the police department for veterans preference. Cause I was told that if you're a disabled veteran, you get so much preference points and blah, blah, blah. Right. I submit all of that. And then I get a letter stating that due to my mental and physical disability, I'm not a candidate to become a police officer. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean I can't own firearms. I still own them. I still shoot. I, I go take my kids hunting. It just means that to them, I'm a liability being hired already with PTSD. I could get it while I'm on the job, right. but I just can't come on to the job with it. So that's where now my life started turning because I was 26 at the time and I was just told I'm not good for anything I want to do. So that's that whole purpose that you were talking about. You feel like you have a purpose. I mean, I'm not saying I was, you know, Superman as a Marine, but man, I loved my job. I tried to do it as best as possible. And I felt that I could do the same thing as a police officer. I felt that afterwards I could try to do the same thing maybe as a firefighter, but they wouldn't take me either because I have PTSD. And then you start feeling that you're just, you, not that you don't have a purpose anymore, as, as you were saying, though, but in my case, you start just feeling that you're just damaged goods. Yeah. That you're just no good. You're broken. Um, you know, the only thing I was good for pretty much, I was constantly getting retail jobs, but as a manager and I was running general i was at what my highest point i was a regional manager i ran a store in tampa miami tampa and orlando and i was unhappy it's not what i wanted to do i wanted some more adrenaline in my life you know i i still didn't understand though there was more behind my ptsd that was going on you know i i i just couldn't believe it so i between 2008 2010 that purpose you talk about was lost in my life 
And I, I bounced between like six different jobs. And that was just an unhealthy, an unhealthy thing for me to be doing because I was constantly drinking as well. Uh, at this time, then I met my, my, my wife and we started dating. And I'm at the same time going back to the VA for more help because I'm like, look, guys, I've been failing at work. I'm trying to figure everything out. I'm still not happy with the way things are going here. I'm not going to your group therapy. I've tried multiple ones. I don't like it. I, I wasn't happy with the way just I was being treated. But still, I wasn't awake enough to, to fight it. And uh, I fell more into the system is what I say. And a lot of veterans do fall more into the system where yeah. I went in and, and I said, hey, I want, you know, I found out about this thing called unemployability. I want to apply for it until I'm able to be good enough to find a job. I applied for it. They denied me unemployability and upped me from 70% to 100% to save. Yeah, they'll do that sometimes because I spent the time. I That's what my job was to file claims for veterans like that individual unemployability. Right. And I remember yeah. that, that sometimes they would, they would do that, but that's all. That's like a, it's not necessarily a terrible thing because you get different things it with a hundred percent disability and it, took it me has a while. other perks. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a while to realize it, but, that 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 made me like that was more like the 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 sealing the coffin for me. Where now, now you're like, told you're a hundred percent disabled. Yeah, yeah. Now you verified it that I am broken and right. ultimately the most broken. And I'm like, this can't be. So, uh, my son's born. My me and my wife get married in January of 2011. My son's born in July. During this whole time, I'm drinking real bad. Uh, I'm. I'm to the point where I was buying uh, expensive alcohol because like the cheap one just wasn't working for me. I wanted hard, you know, like uh, one, like, uh, it had to be like either hard bourbon or hard whiskey, hard scotch. And, uh, but it, I didn't want it to burn down. So I wanted it to just be nice and smooth. So I was, my wife would be like, are you serious again? I would go to BJ's and buy four bottles of blue label. Wow. Um, and then they would last me maybe two months, you know? And I, I was mixing it with my meds. And like I said, my son was born in, in, in July. And I, I'd say by January, December of that year, uh, a little bit, a little bit more after that 2012, then she asked me to move out. She was like, I can't do this anymore. And I moved out and I, I went through a process where ultimately I ended up abusing cocaine. Um, when I was living alone, it got to the point where I just didn't want to live anymore. I didn't, I didn't want to die. Let me rephrase that. Cause you know, certain places you'll read and they'll say I'm suicidal. I was suicidal and stuff. I guess I was in a way I didn't, I, I wanted to kill the life I had. Right. Uh, the plans I ultimately made were to go to South America somewhere or Belize and either try to reinvent myself, you know, cause I get my disability money. And if not, I figured that something would happen to me and I, nobody here would ever find out about me again. Uh, but I just couldn't live like this anymore. And I would, I would try to look for help locally. My friends didn't understand me. My local friends didn't understand me. My family didn't understand me. And then what hurt me the most was I would look on Facebook you know, and Jay and I call it fake book. Uh, I would look on, <laughs> I would look on Facebook quietly trying to reach out just me in my mind, reaching out to the guys I served with. And I would look them all up. I started friending a lot of guys. And then I'm like, man, their life is so great. Why am I so fucked up? I am definitely alone. I'm the only one going through this because these guys were with me. 
and they don't even feel what I'm, they're not, they don't look like how I look like. They don't, I mean, I look bad and uh, I had gained 60 pounds. I was drinking all the time and, and you could just tell when a person is healthier in their life, their face looks different, their skin looks different. They're, I mean, the way you maintain yourself, I wasn't getting haircuts, I wasn't shaving. And then when I was, it was just like, a, I would shave it all like a buzz and then it would just grow out again like a chia, you know? I was so, just going mean, to say like a chia pet. You- <laughs> yeah, it had no purpose. That's like great. now I have purpose in my hair again, you know? So um, in 2013, 2014, I just uh, couldn't take it anymore. And uh, that's in 2013 is when I reached out. I got invited to an, uh, a Marlins game the police, by a police department. The police department heard my story of me talking of just depression and stuff and the lady was like, let me give you a book. It's called Until Tuesday. And it was written by an, a retired army captain that unfortunately ended up taking his life. Oh. But uh, the whole purpose behind his book was about his service dog named Tuesday and how Tuesday saved his life until Tuesday. And uh, I read it and I was like, that's it. I'm going to get a service dog. So I looked it all up and uh, got approved by an organization that's uh, no longer around, but got approved by this organization in California. Got me, they got me my plane ticket. I went out there for a week and a half. I met this, uh, I met all the dogs they had. I got paired with a dog. I got my handler's training. I flew back home and uh, I was like, all right, let's try this out. Because now my whole purpose behind getting the dog was every time my, 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 my wife would pick up my son on the weekends from me, I was just devastated. I felt alone again. I felt depressed. And I was at this point now contemplating no longer leaving but contemplating, not even contemplating, praying every day because I was definitely not, I never wanted to kill myself. Like, I just wanted death to come upon me. And I would just pray every day that, you know, the bus would run me over by mistake or I'm, crossing the street. Yeah, I, I completely or, get that. Yes. I call that yeah, I, passively suicidal. That's the yeah, phase I went so, through. Yeah. And, and, and I would pray for that because yep. uh, I just, I, I was so unhappy. And so I get a call from my gunnery sergeant, one of my gunnies in, from Iraq in 2004, and he's like, hey, Martinez, uh, we're having a reunion in September up here in California where I live. He's like, I would love for you to come out here, man. He's like, the reunion's on the weekend, but dude, you know me and you were close. I would love for you to come out here on Monday and spend the whole week at my house. And I'm like, you know what, dude? I'm in. And to me, it was just, I was going to go say goodbye to these guys. And that's it. I was going to leave. I was going to take off. I go to California, I go spend a couple of days with him in his house. Then we go to the campsite for the reunion. Some guys showed up, a bunch, a bunch did not show up, but some guys show up. One of the guys, Lance Corporal Puckett, that I was talking to you about that died in September 13th and saves a bunch of individuals on April 13th. His mom, his brother, and his sister were there. And nobody knew that they were going to show up. Uh, but we had this reunion on September of 2014. September 12th, September 13th of 2014. So 10-year reunion is when we did this reunion. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget, like, the second day that we're all together. We're all hanging around on fire, drinking. I mean, we hadn't seen each other in 10 years. And uh, they were all joking and stuff, saying stories. And I'm like, hey, man, does anybody here ever just want to die? And, like, <laughs> it got quiet. You could hear the fire crackling. And I was like, no, but for real, does anybody here just ever want to just fucking end it all, dude? I'm not saying kill yourself, but like, you just fucking can't do it anymore. And then two guys like confirmed it. Yeah, man, me too. This and that. And I'm like, Corporal, why don't we ever call each other or anything like that? Like, I try to look on you guys on Facebook and this and that. And 
they're all like, well, you know, I don't want to ruin your life. And I'm like, bro, but I didn't want to ruin your life. That's the reason why I never reached out to you, you know? So after that, the next remainder of the two days that we had of this trip, everybody was just so fucking tight. Every picture, I think we're all hugging each other, all 11, 12 of us that were there. Every picture is like that, that I have. And uh, we became even closer. We created a bond that now not only we went to war, but now we've all told ourselves the internal demons that we've either struggled with or are struggling with. And uh, some stayed quiet, you know, which ended up, I ended up then learning more about it afterwards. But come back from that trip. One of the days we were there, I'm talking to one of the guys and the campsite we were at was for sale. And he was like, damn, Martinez, wouldn't it be awesome to just buy this, buy this place and just leave it for veterans only to reunite units because it had a bunch of little cabanas everywhere, only to reunite units and then let them experience what we just did right now. And I'm like, dude, that'd be so awesome. So we went over to the place, talked to the owner at the bar because he ran the place and uh, he wanted like two point something million for it. And I looked at PJ and I was like, this ain't never going to fucking happen, bro. So take it out of your mind. I was like, awesome dream, but you know, whatever. So I come back and I, 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 I say, I said it to Jay. I said it to, you know, on Jay's book on overcome. He shared my story. He has to share my story in it. And, uh, when they told me, me too, you know, like I've, I've, I've wanted to kill myself or I've had that thought. I tell everybody I had, I felt like I had an elephant sitting on my back and my chest and they both got up at the same time and my lungs were able to breathe and expand. Like, <gasps> Oh my God. So I came back. This is September of 2014. I come back. I call my, my therapist that I already had been going to at the vet center. And I'm like, listen, Mirvin, I know it sounds crazy, but I had this huge breakthrough. I'm like, I'm calling my wife right now because we've been separated since what, December? I mean, February of 2012. This is now September of 2014. She never divorced me. I kept on telling divorce me already. This and that. She's like, no. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm calling her right now. And I'm telling her that she has an ultimatum because I'm telling you something happened to me. And I'm like, I'm fixed. I'm cured. I'm, something happened. At least the door was kicked down. So I, my wife comes back and into the therapist with us. And uh, we sit there and I remember telling them the whole story. And that my therapist is like, you just realized you're not alone. That's all, you know, that's all that it is, right? That you just realized you finally had a crew that you could count on and talk to. And you just, and that's a huge part to have that support system that you felt you weren't getting from your wife, your family, right. your friends, you know? And uh, the reality, I ended up realizing that's the best support system there is. An individual that has the same mind as you. You know, I, I, I'll tell people that will come up to me. Like, I've had one young lady that came up to me and she's like, look, you know, I was raped, this and that. I was like, please stop there. I was like, let me find somebody that I know that was a military sexual trauma victim that you could talk to because I'd, I'm going to be so off base with you that I don't want to make it wrong. Even though we both have PTSD and we struggle with it, I don't understand what it is you went through or how it affects you, but somebody that somebody that does can help you better, you know? So that's what she kind of told me. She's like, these guys understand you. They were there. They saw what you saw or went through what you went through. And so I'm fishing with my best friend and this still, it couldn't get out of my mind. Like, how can I, how can we replicate this for other people? You know? And I'm fishing with my best friend down here in Miami. He's, he's the only one that stood by me during my down. He got me my apartment that I ended up living right. in that alone. He would come check in on me every three days. Hey, bro, go fucking shower, dude. Open, open up my cart, my curtains and stuff. And we're fishing. And 
I'm like, this is it. And he's like, are you on? I'm like, no, this is it, bro. This is it. It's like, what's it? And I'm like, dude, I was talking with PJ. I was having a conversation with PJ in my head while I'm fishing, bro. How are we going to do this shit? How are we going to do this shit? Yeah. And I'm like screaming. And he's like, what is it? And I'm like, dude, I was talking to my friend in Iraq about making something that we could fly guys in for a week and reunite them so that we could, they could all just talk and leave from there having a bigger support system. And I'm like, I'm like, I'll never be able to do it in Miami because a week here would cost forever. It would cost a ton of money to fly people here and lodge them for a week. It's so expensive. I'm like, but in the back of a boat, I could have you for eight to 10 hours for a full day fishing trip and you can't go anywhere. You, what are you going to swim off? You're going to jump out in the middle of the ocean and swim away. I'm like, I'm like, this is it. And he's like, all right, all right. So I started brainstorming, started coming up with things and it just all just, it was like a domino effect. And it was like, oh, uh, somebody was like, oh, man, I was like, they were like, how about wet vet? And I was like, man, wet vet sounds like, and you know, I'm, like I said, Marines, Hispanic, yeah, 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 yeah. Marine, Marines and veterans don't care. We have no filter. And I'm like, wet vet, that sounds like either I'm a Mexican or I'm a wet, <laughs> I'm a wet Mexican or wet or like joking, you know? And I'm like, I, everybody always thought I was Mexican in the Marine Corps because last name Martinez. So I'm like, no, I'm like, Either that or I'm like a fish doctor. I'm like, no, how about, how about Operation Web Vet? Because Operation will give a military. And everybody was like, everybody immediately, my, my, my whole group that I was, study group that I was talking to about this whole thing, they were like, yes. So I immediately went on. I incorporated it. I was like, all right. I went and I went on Amazon and I bought the book, uh, Nonprofit for Dummies. And uh, Nonprofit Accounting and Everything Else for Dummies. And I'm reading it and I'm like, all right, I think I could do this. I think I could do this all. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to save, I'm not going to blow money because I kept on being told like 2000 at least for your 501c3 right. and all that stuff. And I'm like, this is, how, where am I going to get this from? I, this was me that came up with an idea, my family supporting me. And I'm like, I don't have like donors and I don't even know anything about corporate life. So, uh, I was like, all right, we could do this. I could do this. If I was able to go to Iraq and survive that, I could do this. I'm like, all right, cool. So I read the book. I read the book like two, three times. And uh, I filed for my 501c3. Well, during this whole process, though, I incorporated on June 1st specifically. June because PTSD Awareness Month is June. And from June to December, I'm doing little fundraisers. But the fundraisers I'm doing, I'm either... I found a watch company on, 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 uh, on Instagram. I reached out to them told him about my vision and what I'm starting. And he's like, I love, I love it. I love it. I want to be a part of it. The very first person you reach out to says they love it and they want to be a part of it. Yes. Dude, that just does not happen, but go ahead. No, a company called. (laughs) I get you. I get you. No, go ahead. Still with me to this day. Don't expect those results at home, kids. Cause (laughs) yes, I I tell everybody that this must've, I must've just written the right, right scripture in this email or what. But I wrote him an email, told him my story, you know, what my, my vision was. And he's like, not a problem, dude. I want to be a part of it. He sent me like four watches. These watches are valued $600 a watch. Nice. I'm like, I'm like, all right. So what am I going to do with these watches? So I started raffling them off at events. I, I, people would let me do an event. I'd set up a table with our logo. I already had our logo designed and everything. And uh, I started raffling watches and uh, eventually I got enough money to buy a Yeti cooler at Bass Pro with my military discount. Mm-hmm. I got the Yeti cooler, wrapped it with our logo. I asked the manager at Bass Pro, which happened to be a veteran. And I was like, hey, can I set up a booth here and raffle this cooler? He's like, not a problem, dude. So I sat there, raffled the cooler for two weekends, raised $2,500 in two weekends. Very nice. 
paid for my 501c3, submitted the application, and I got the approval October 29th of 2015. So five months after I applied or something that, or that I did my incorporation on June 1st. So that got was, five, when did you say 2019? Uh, yeah, uh, no, 2015. Uh, 2015, I'm sorry. So, That's yeah, right. 2015. All right, hang on. Let me bump you in there because we're going to run out of time and I want to get to a bunch of a bunch of things. Um, so 2015, you're incorporated. And just before we started recording, you were talking about you have a group coming in tomorrow. And this is right in the middle of the coronavirus. I guess we're going to be saying, we can't keep saying, I've been saying we're right in the middle of the coronavirus because I keep thinking oh. we're on the other side. But it, apparently, we're in the early phases of the coronavirus. Yeah, somebody was telling me that so, this might last till 2025. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, somebody was telling me that we have the chance that this might last that long. We have a, who knows anymore. I think it's pointless yeah. to guess. But so you have seven veterans flying in tomorrow into Miami. You're going to take them out fishing. But now Miami has just recently re-engaged with this earlier shutdown. Uh, policies yes. for the coronavirus. So just tell me quickly, how is that impacting your, your work now? Like what, how do you, how do you just, you've been in situations before, obviously in combat and afterwards where you just had the unexpected like ambushes. Jay calls them Jay. And I want to talk about him here too in a minute. Jay yeah, like calls right now that my mic like just fell off. My I'm watching. I wasn't going to say anything, but just hold it up in your hand like a rock star. Just own it. Right. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm doing. Um, so, but how are you going to pivot during that? What are your plans to adjust for the new? Well, people? I mean, honestly, I could have just canceled everything from the beginning. I started getting news that some stuff was going to come down the pipeline and we weren't going to have the ability to fish and stuff like that. So I just didn't want to. I figured that luckily in Miami, I have North I have Broward, West Palm. I have the West Coast, Cape Coral. I have the Keys. So if Miami would have closed down, I'd still have these guys here and I would have bust them to either West Palm, right. Broward, worst case scenario, even Tampa, four hours away. And I would have had a charter captain, any one of those cities for fishing for them. That's cool. You no, know, it's a, uh, uh, they're all I just got to make sure they're all wearing their masks because they are finding individuals now down here in Miami. If you aren't wearing your mask, they're finding um, you on, on the streets, or, but not out on a fishing boat. Not out on a fishing boat. Right. So, but uh, the the supposedly the rule is as I'm reading it. So it used to be six. You were allowed six people on a charter. Now you're allowed four. They have to keep social distancing at all times, and you must wear your mask when you're fishing. Is what they say. That's crazy. <laughs> so my parents just recently moved to Florida over the winter, and they came back for uh, we had a, a death in the family. They came back earlier than they had planned to see everybody, and. New York has this Floridians must quarantine for two weeks rule if you come. So are these veterans going to come to see you and then maybe have to quarantine when they get home? Like, are, are any of them saying, I, oh, hey, I, maybe I asked not them that? Yeah, I asked them that, you know, I was like, guys, how do you feel? I'm like, they're like, they were asking me, they're like, look, we're coming to you. Do we have to like go there and quarantine? And I was like, I haven't heard anything about that. I mean, you none of you are coming from a hot spot. Right. So we're a hot spot. So I don't see, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't see that. Now, if you guys have to quarantine when you guys go back home, you're going to have to figure out that with your local governments and, yeah. and figure that out on your own and, and see if you want to <laughs> lie and wanna, say, yeah. I never, you know, I never went to Miami, but for instance, I got one of the guys is an active duty gentleman and he got denied his leave. The department of defense isn't allowing anybody oh, right, to right, travel. Right. 
So uh, I had to cancel his plane ticket and put it on hold. Uh, I'll, I'll fly him down in a few months or something like that. But I had to cancel his. Uh, I had another individual that <laughs> got the coronavirus, one of the local uh, veterans that I had. So I, I'm flying seven now in and uh, one one got his own plane ticket. So I'm flying eight in to Miami and four local guys. One of the local guys just got it because he's okay. a first responder and oh, I guess yeah, picked yeah. it up in that fashion. Yeah. And he calls me and he's like, I got the Rona, man. I can't go fishing. I got, the, I got the Rona. And I'm like, no. Well, so catch, uh, him the ne- catch him the next time around. It's just improvise, yeah. improvise and, and overcome. So, I mean, it goes to, you know, what Jay taught us. Uh, Jay, Jay taught us to, it doesn't matter if you got to go through it, around it or over it. You know, um, I like to go through it. I always say that. I, I don't yeah. like going around it, over it. Because if you go around it and over it, you leave it there. And it'll come back and haunt you. If you go through no, it, I say you point. destroyed it. I say you point. destroyed it and then that's it. So All right. you've mentioned Jason Redmond a few times here. And yeah. anyone who follows American Snippets has heard of us before. You'll be familiar with him because we interviewed him. And then he and Ray Cash were also cool enough to have me on their show uh, recently as well. But so I'm curious, what is your connection to him? How did you connect with him? And you told yeah. me before we started that he kickstarted you. So, yes, that's super so, cool for a lot of reasons so give us the condensed version so we don't run out of time like i said i told you i like talking so that's yeah. my problem so, no, no, we're <laughs> so good. um uh so i met jay actually ironically not too long ago in 2017 uh so i, I started my organization i thought i was doing great but ptsd has never really gone no. away and i've learned no. i've learned that it'll never go away you just got to learn how to live with it learn how to maintain your the, the control the the, the, the little problems it comes with and stuff like that. So I did a fishing trip with a gentleman named Sean Lopez and he comes up to me and he's like, Hey man, I need to introduce you to this guy named Jason Redman. He's a Navy SEAL. He helps out veterans with an organization called Combat Wounded Coalition. And it's, he's like, I went through this program called the Overcome Academy and man, they're going to tell, they're going to teach you how to tell your story. He's going to teach you on how to relate more and, and, and be more on a corporate level and he's like, man, I just, I love what you're doing with Operation Webbit and I appreciate you taking me fishing. He's like, I just feel like you could do so much more. And I'm like, all right, dude, I'll give it a shot. I was still in, and still in like, I don't want help and stuff like that. I mean, I started Operation Webbit because I was unhappy with all the help there was out there. And I honestly felt the only thing that had, had really helped me was figuring out I wasn't alone. And the only way I was going to hear that was to ser- be with guys I served with, you know? Yeah. So that's why I started Operation Webbit to try to reunite guys that served together. So I go out, I call. Jason Redman, I messaged him. I'm like, hey, Sean Lopez told me to reach out to you. He's like, oh, he told me about you. It's so cool what you're doing. You know, thanks for reaching out. He's like, I'd be interested in taking, um, inviting you to my Overcome Academy Class 002 up here in Virginia. I'm like, oh, man, I don't know about that. I don't like traveling. I'm like, can I take my dog? And he's like, of course, I have a service dog, too. He's like, come bring him. And I'm like, all right, cool. So, I mean, he kept on saying everything to I couldn't say whatever no to. your objection was. He met it. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like, look, I'm tight on money. He's like, oh, it's OK. We're going to buy your plane ticket. And I'm like, OK. And he's like, we're paying for your hotel. And I'm like, OK. So I'm like, I guess I'm going. Just what is it? And he's like, it's next week or something. Like I was like that. I was like very fast. And I was like, all right, I'm on it. Let's go. So I go over there and I go over there and you definitely. It's a it's a wake. It was a wake up call because a lot of the the little uh, things we did were like self-reflection and looking at yourself, but mm-hmm. being honest about it. And I guess being around other combat veterans, I felt comfortable to be honest around it. And some of them shared their story. I waited and I came up, told my story. At the end of the day, he taught us pretty much on how to condense our story into a TED talk. 
I did it. I, I had no clue, though, that right before I was about to go up, he brings my wife in. He oh. flew her from Miami up there. And uh, she's there because she was there to witness our graduation the next day. And uh, I go and I tell my story for the first time to everybody. And I tell them that I was addicted to cocaine. Um, I would go on three, four day binges. I, you know, I shared everything. I, I told them on how I wanted to die. I told my wife on how I wanted to die. Nobody ever knew that. And um, I, it was bad, you know, to me, but I, I was, I felt great telling it. And uh, Jay, so was like, well, you know, you got to give us, you know, three goals that you have that you've set in the Overcome Army. And I was like, all right, man, well, goal number one is I want to go to school. I, I honestly feel that we're the only brain that understands us. So I want to study psychology. I go, number two is I want to grow my organization more. And number three is I want to, I want to, I want to do more in life. If it can't be politics, I want to, I want to use my voice some way, somehow. I, I want to be spoken. And he's like, all right, man, do it. Uh, I, I just, you know, he sets these, tell us to do these goals that we can do in a while. And I, that was in September of 2018. I came back and immediately signed up for spring of 2019 uh, Miami Day, at Miami Day College. Uh, I went to Miami Day College and in my first semester, I applied to the student government body. Um, so I was like, oh, it's not real politics, but, you know, it's giving me a taste of yeah. it. I was telling him joking. And then uh, I started, started studying psychology and then uh, immediately blew, tried to blow up my organization. So I called him over and I was like, hey, man, I got some money, this and that. I got some guys that want to take us fishing. I want to take you fishing, Jay. So I took Jay fishing. And then after that, I've taken a couple more guys fishing and stuff like that that, that were helping me out a lot with, with publicity and stuff like that, like promoting it, you know, not the way that I was. And I wasn't promoting it. I didn't want to dog and pony my veterans. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to take... And have to use pictures of just amputees to get money. That's not just who I am. If you want to give me money to take my guys fishing, then cool. That's what I want. I want money that cares of what they're doing, not because they want a picture so that they can promote right. it for them, their money, you know? Um, and, but on and, the uh, other hand, those I companies that, that do support you, they need those companies but also they do get need, to, they need to advertise that they're supported. They, they will. need to let their clients know. Correct. Right. That, they, and they get that because that's going to get more people in their doors. That's good. So there are, it is a balance to be had. And I'm saying this because I've, I've felt the same thing. I've seen veteran and as a gold star, I've I've been exploited by people who work for us. But I've also been happy to to step in and be an example when somebody asked me, because I know that that company is donating to this cause that yes. is benefiting me, and my family, and they need to make it known to their boards and their people that they're helping. So it's a fine right. line. It's a I fine line to walk. It was yeah. huge. And that's what Sean saw. That's why, that's why Sean was like, you need to meet Jay. You need to meet Jay. Yeah. So Jay, Jay taught me how to walk that. Jay taught me during with this whole yeah. you know, mindset and everything and, and, and teaching me more. He's become my mentor and a really good friend. I mean, he was just here at my house last week when, when I had to put my dog to sleep. And it was uh, Jay and I become great friends. And he, he was like, dude, you're the epitome. You know, after a year and a half of knowing each other, he's like, you're the epitome of what I wanted for the Overcome Academy. And uh, you're doing it. He's like, you're doing. And, uh, and I tell people all the time, I'm like, I'm not, I don't get to the point where it's all the time talking about Jay, but I bring it up when it's necessary yeah. and I, at the right times. And, and I, I, I bring it up to show people that the effect that it actually had on me, that overcome mindset, you know, and how it got me going. And like I said, you go around it, through it, or over it. I like going through it because to me, going through it means that I, I went through it. I could experience. Right. I can't say that I skirted it. So, uh, you know, he, he, uh, 
he just tells me all the time to just overcome things and stuff like that, that mindset. And right before this Corona thing uh, started or whatever we want to call it, uh, I, I already had I already had the feeling that something was going to happen. I was telling my wife in January, things aren't looking good. I, when the first one came, I was like, this is a little weird. The way it's just automatically just yeah. showed up here. Like, to me, it was just, I wasn't, it was just, wow. I was like, they're going to make something big about this because nothing else is going on right now in the media. And I didn't think it was going to get this bad. So I was like, I want to start a podcast. And I was, I was like, I'm, I got to do it now. And I started it, uh, I think in February. You're uh, pre-corona cast. Yeah, my pre, yeah. I'm on pre-cap. So I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not one of the there's ones that like did it. the new era of podcasts. There's pre-corona Dude. and there's corona Dude, cast. You can't, so you can't go online and buy a microphone, a cam link. Really? You can't buy anything that has to do with broadcasting or doing a... I did not know that, but I have seen... You cannot. You can't, you it'll can't be buy a webcam on Amazon. Wow. It'll be interesting <laughs> to see how many podcasts make it. We started ours a couple years ago. But yeah, anyway, ca- carry on. Because... Um, now we yeah. have this whole so, influx of podcasts, but yours is relevant to the point, the post-traumatic so survival I've, podcast. I've tried, no. Yeah, I've tried. I've tried to just maintain my my message. And my message is PTSD. Yeah. Uh, I'm here to break, first and foremost break the stigma. A lot of a lot of people think that PTSD just means you're crazy. You can't have a gun. Uh, you can't leave your house without having flashbacks. And you have flashbacks yeah. and you think you're somewhere. And I'll be honest. I've never had a hallucinant flashback. I, I've told, I've been told by people that they have had them. You know, um, all of the ones that have told me they've had them, none of them have been sober at the time. So it's not right. I don't think it's something like in the movies that just happens to you soberly. Um, I do experience every one second, two second type of flashbacks where I'll smell something or I'll feel something. The other day I was cutting meat and it was just very oily and thick the blood, and I I really didn't. I wasn't in a good state. And I told my wife, babe, I'm about to pass out. And it was just, it was a trigger. I realized right. that that's just a real big trigger. So my, my message is about PTSD. It goes to my organization. The, org- the organization is, uh, the program is called Project Therapy at Sea or PTS. Those are the initials. Love so it. I was like, I really like it. And I was like, how can I focus around that in my podcast? And I was like, I want to stay with PTS, PTS. And I was like, uh, post-traumatic, uh, struggle. I was like, no, because that sounds like you're just struggling all the time. I was like, Jay, I want Jay in my mind about overcoming. I was like, post-traumatic survival. And I was like, oh, that's it. PTS. I was like, yes. So I, you know, I looked it up. There wasn't one with it. I made sure mm-hmm. I set it up real quick, all the, all the names and stuff. And, uh, you know, like set up my plan, like how Jay sets us. He, there's, you always have the proper plan to execute. And I set up my plan and I was up in the air within, I mean, I had the system already sitting in my house for a while. Cause I, this is something I wanted to do with my organization, never did it, but I was up in the air immediately. I had my intro, my outro, and I focused just on post-traumatic survival. We want to interview individuals that have been through any type of trauma and it doesn't have to be extreme trauma. It could be, right. you know, uh, anything, anything that, that, that has affected you traumatically will always stick with you. So you know, that's why I've even asked for you to, to, to be a guest on my podcast. And because and, that's being a gold star individual is not is not easy, whether whether you're the mom, wife, yeah. family, you know, it, it, I'm sure it changes the closer you were to the individual. But still, it's not it's not easy. And and some individuals will do what Jay does, what Jay preaches, you know, stay, they'll stay on the X and Jay preaches get off the X. They don't know what the X is. The X is that ambush site like me being military, I understand it now. When he broke it down to me like that, I was like, whoa, wait a second. Life is like that. 
So, you know, what I tell everybody is you have to, you have to immediately get off the X because life will throw a life ambush. Like for instance, like how you mentioned, I had a loss last week. I had to put my service dog. Yeah. I've been with this dog for six, seven years. We've been, I tell joke people, I, I got him when I was single. That dog has been through two strip clubs with me. <laughs> that dog has been to restaurants, bars. Yeah. We fly, we travel. He's been to Disney World with me, ridden rides with me. So the bond I had with him was like none other. And, you know, I made a post last week. I told my wife, I was like, man, this dog had saved me so many times, babe, from killing myself, you know? And that dog has never said a word to me in these six, seven years. He's just been a silent listener, right. you know? And I had to put him to sleep, but I couldn't let, I couldn't let that affect me. So, um, not even that. I, when I started planning the trip, uh, three, two, three, four weeks ago, um, I already, my dog was already starting to get sick and, uh, I just, I was like, I can't, I can't, I got to project. I got to move. I got to get off the X because if I, I want individuals to understand this in combat, the X is the X. You get ambushed right now, and majority of the time, this is who you're fighting with. They're either going to try to kill you, right. or you're going to kill them, and then you can move out of the way. So you could either move off or stand there and fight. That's that's combat situation. The problem with life is when you're on your life ambush, that light, that X that you're on, you just can't fight that one X because life doesn't care. Life will throw another X on you, and another X on you. So you can be standing right now on what you thought was the biggest thing that has just happened to you. Like for me right now, the death of my dog has been horrible in 2020. Everybody's like, man, 2020 sucks. Coronavirus. So many celebrities have died. This and that, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yo, fuck you guys. I had to put my dog to sleep. You know, yeah. the guy that had had my back for the last six years, I tried having his back for two and a half weeks as he was dying in my house. I had him IVs 24 hours a I day know, in my house. I was watching. Everything, you know, another, feeding him, yeah. force feeding him. And if I would have let myself right now just sit on this right now, anything else that just comes my way would just drain me. Dr I mean, drown me, drown me. It would yeah. just 100%. I, I would honestly feel like I can't get out of this right now. And that's because I let my dog, I stayed on that one and I let whatever else come on to me. So I had to move. I had to go. And that was, I guess, the purpose by Jay coming to my house that same day. You know, he's like, dude, you can't, I know you can't be alone right now. Yeah. I'm going to go see you. So he came and saw me. But when he came and saw me, I already had cleaned my backyard. You know, I had my backyard Duke proof because Duke would pee on everything. Whenever there, there is times I would leave without him to ride my motorcycle. And then I'd get home. I, both my barbecues were peed on. The chair I sat on was peed on. Yep. The table I, I sit on to smoke my cigars were peed on. So he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm here, dude. So um, immediately I rearranged everything because if not, I knew I'd stay on that X that I'm missing Duke. I already miss him as it is. I know he's not here, but... Now it's, I have to move on. I have to, you have to, you have to continue going. You have yeah. to overcome because if not, you're just, it's going to drain you. It's going to, you well, know, it's going to continue. I love that you are using your experience. I, I see it's emotional for you, but that just shows that someone's passionate and genuine about what they're, what they're doing. And I know the veterans in particular who come to you are going to be greatly impacted by, by your story and by your message. And I love the difference between sitting back and just getting pissed that nothing exists that you think it the way it should exist. And then just saying, well, you know, fuck it, I'm going to go make it right. Like, that's, that's the best part. I think of what you're doing is that you're leading by example. There is another, there are so many, as you're talking, 
my wheels are turning and there's a lot of notes though. I do <laughs> take notes because I want to, yeah. I always take notes during an interview because and I, I talk so much. I don't, I don't give you much time to, it, to, to ask. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, and it's also stuff that I want to follow up on later. Right. And so that's some of the things that I've been taking, taking notes on and following up uh, later to connect you with. I've been writing down people. I want to connect you with people we've interviewed, people that I know, people that are aligned with what you do. So I have a list here of people. I'm like, I'm okay. you're going to say something and I'm like, you connect you with this person, connect you with that well, person. The, the connection. Remember I was yeah. telling you there's a connection. So this trip right now that I'm doing this Wednesday, they fly in Wednesday, they fly out on Monday. I got it uh, sponsored by a couple of great companies, uh, some logistic companies that that sponsored the event and and Bass Pro. And uh, I'm I'm flying in that gunnery sergeant that started uh, that reunion. So he's coming awesome. in tomorrow. And a couple of the guys that he served with alongside that weren't at that reunion, I'm flying them in. And uh, it's going to be huge because he hasn't seen some of these guys in 16 years. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That uh, the Vietnam veteran I was telling you about, he does he gets together with his. A unit or as organizations that that's, that's that one generation that realized it. Oh my god, they realized it because yeah, because nobody else opened the doors to yeah. them because of what they they did or whatever over there that they knew they had to stick together. Yeah, no, I love them. They're my heroes. All right, before we uh, let you go, I do need to ask this question that we love to ask our guests. Part of why we started American Snippets is because we know, for me personally, I was impacted by so many amazing people in this country who stepped forward, who stepped in to help me when my life went to shit and continually serves as examples. And so about three years ago, when we thought this country was the most divided it would ever be <laughs> three years ago, who knew uh, we decided, you know, the, the negativity was getting to me personally, the attacks on the country, the attacks on all this was getting to me. And when we knew that this country is packed with so many amazing people, not what the media says, certainly that right. exists. Obviously I've experienced that you've experienced that. We know that exists, but we know that there's more good than evil in this country. And we knew, for instance, the American dream, which has been under attack is alive and well, it's just, you have yep. to, you have to want it. You have to work for it. You have to commit to it. But we know that that dream is not the same for everybody. We know there's no one cookie cutter version of the American dream. The white picket fence doesn't exist anymore. We know what it is for us. So we're always very curious to know what it means to our guests. So what would that look like for you? You know, what the, what is your version of the American dream? What does it mean to you? Oh man, uh, that's a good question. Cause coming from somebody like me that was born here, first generation, but grew up in a Cuban home, uh, was raised by my grandmother. She didn't speak English and all I ever did was hear and hear and hear about how lucky we are. Um, how lucky we are. That we don't, we could get to go to school and wear the clothes we want. That we could get to go to school and pray. Back then we were able to pray yeah. and stuff. And <laughs> we can go to school and, and uh, I mean, she would say that, that we were so lucky that she could just go on the corner of the street and school say whatever she wanted to say without a neighbor reporting her to the, you know, the communist regime. And now she's getting arrested for being against the, the country. So I don't, I, I gotta be honest. I think people need to stop looking for the American dream because it's here. It's you're living it. If you're here right now, you're living the American dream. Um, people, I guess have the, this assumption that it's something that's given to us. But I, I, I don't think anything is given to us. I think you have to get everything yourself. 
The only difference is here, the opportunities are available. It, it, you don't have those opportunities at other places. Like I said, I grew up being told how lucky I was that I could go to school and study and be what I wanted to be. In Cuba, it's, it's almost everything's like an ASVAB. You, everybody gets tested on what they're good at. And then you get told you're good at this and this is what you're going to do. You're good at, you know, being a paper pusher or whatever. You're good at, you know, medical. So we're going to put you in the medical field. And then at the end of the day, you're not even free to practice your own. They're like, well, you're going to practice this, you know, so that then they could trade you to like some Arab country or Africa for chickens because they trade doctors for chickens, you know, so that they could feed the Cuban people um, or they, they, they trade for fuel or something. I mean, that's what Cuba does with with humans. So it's I, I don't think the American dream, honestly, uh, if, if I mean, if we're reverting back now, I feel that dreams are being taken away or certain things are being taken away. Um, I, I would say then it would have to look like what it was when I was growing up. But I don't think it looks like anything that we're not living at right now. I think the American dream is healthy and alive. The only problem is people are looking for that, like for that dream to come to them. And the dream is here. You, you got to live it. You got to, you got to be in it. It's not going to like come to you one day and, and, and tell you, this is what you know. We're living it right now. This is the American dream. I tell her I've gotten to go to Cuba twice. I went in 2018 and I went in 2017. I took my grandfather to visit his younger brother after my grandmother died. He told me he wanted to see them and I got to experience it. The second I landed on Cuban soil, I was already, I don't know if I was, they, they knew I was military or not, but they tried interrogating me. The second I landed on Cuban soil, they tried interrogating me. My grandfather was able to get me out of it. I then saw how the, the humans struggled there, how everybody struggled there. And I'll tell you what, I, I, it, it made me realize how lucky I was to be an American and and that I am living, I've, I've already lived the dream, I told myself, because people were asking me so many questions. My, my uncle, my grandfather's younger brother that, that was 77 at the time, asking me so many questions. I was like, wow, you've lived a lifetime. You've, you've, you've lived multiple lifetimes. You've done so many. I'm like, man, you're 77, dude. And you're still telling me you haven't even lived yet. And, you know, you've been alive this whole life in your country. And you were told you were going to be a power plant director or work on the power plant and that you were good in electrical engineering. And I mean, you were just told what to do. I mean, to the point where I'm, I'm pretty sure that he was told when to die because he was not given the proper medical care, you know? So I'm living the American dream. I'm, we're, li we're living it right now. You just need to go after it. You need to go get it the same way that you need to have ambitions in life. Wow. What a cool answer. Thank you for that. I, that's a, just a great Great thought. You know, stop looking for the American dream because you're living it. I don't think anyone's ever yeah, put it that way before. So that's great. Thank you. Ozzy, if people want to connect with you, they want to follow up, they want to learn more about your organization, Operation Wetback, if they want to learn more about your post-traumatic survival podcast, where can they go to find that? So, out? yeah, you can follow me directly. It's at everything is at Ozzy Martinez Jr. I believe it's like that everywhere. It's on Facebook, my Facebook page, my Instagram, my Twitter, my LinkedIn. It's everything's at, at Ozzy Martinez Jr. O Z Z I E and Martinez J R. Uh, I also have at Operation Wet Vet for the organization, and the podcast is at Post Traumatic Survival on Instagram. And it, I'm not real too active on it. Um, on the on that side, I'm more active on myself. But uh, everybody could pretty much find me at Ozzy Martinez Jr. Excellent. Thank you so much, and thanks for taking the time to sit down with us today.
Barb, thank you so much for having me. I was so nervous. Even though I, I have a podcast, <laughs> I told you from the beginning, this is the first time I ever got interviewed for a podcast. So crazy. Well, we love so to much. be the first. So hey, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm living thanks the American so dream here. This, this, yeah. this is awesome. So, <laughs> thank you, Barb. All right, everyone. There you have it. That wraps up another episode of American Sippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'd like to personally thank Ozzy Martinez for being here as well and sharing his story. If you want to learn more about Ozzy Martinez, I highly encourage you to go on over to our website at americansippets.com. Each week, we do a full write-up on every one of our guests. Uh, you can re-listen to the podcast episode, watch the full interview, read the article, and we also throw in some links there that you can use to follow Ozzy on social and check out his podcast. Uh, if you got any value out of this episode, all that we ask is please leave us a five-star review. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you uh, think about the show. Uh, share one of your favorite podcast episodes on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. You can follow us at those same places uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, at American Snippets. Uh, and please subscribe to our YouTube channel as well because we publish a lot of content there that we don't necessarily publish here on the audio program. And that's about it. So we appreciate you being here today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are. <laughs>